Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Because I know how it is. You get caught up, right? You live your life, and sometimes it's not until the afternoon or evening that you even remember that there is a God. You know what I mean? Like, you just, we just get launched out of the chute like a pinball machine, and you're just bouncing around all day long, reacting, and then it's like, oh, wait a minute. There is a God. He loves me, and he can do something about my situation. We all do it. It's not just you. But I, I so want us to, to, to get this reality that Jesus to us is a source of life. And it's real. And his spirit is tangible. And his spirit is present. And his spirit has been placed within us. Not just to open the door to heaven. Say, you remember that cross thing? Yeah, that was for you. I'm up in heaven with the door open. I hope you make it. No, it's a deep connection. It's a real connection, you know. I think that the church, the body of Christ, we've, we've made spiritual matters a little too mystical. Right? A little too mystical. Like, it's a little, I don't really quite understand it. It's out there. I think it has something to do with miracles and words and all this stuff. And it does. But, but more than anything, it's a source of life. And I've said it over the past few weeks, and I, I want to go into, I've got some questions for you today that I hope stick in your mind as you live out this week. But this is the picture that we should have of ourselves And it, you see it in Psalm 1. You see it in Jeremiah 17. We are like a tree planted by living water. That tree that draws on that water, the leaves don't wither. Think about that. That's what trees in heaven look like. The leaves don't wither. That's you. That's a picture of you. As you are engrafted into this new covenant through the body and blood of Christ, you are engrafted into God, really. You are hidden with Christ in God. I mean, it's like a double whammy. You are in there. And that's our life. That is our source of life. But we don't think that way. And that's where I'm going today is where we are in our minds, where we are in our hearts. Are we carnal or are we spiritual? And by carnal, I don't mean evil. I just mean flesh-oriented. And flesh doesn't necessarily mean evil. But, but flesh isn't about I'm inherently craving evil. That's not flesh. Flesh is, I've got to live this life in my power. Here's flesh. When you wake up and you've got those bills to pay or you don't like your job and you're thinking, how do I figure this out? What am I supposed to do? I need to do this, tick, 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 and you start playing chess in your mind with your life. That's the flesh. That's carnal-mindedness. Now, yes, you do need to make decisions and, and organize and steward the resources that God has placed in your hands well. But it's flesh-minded to say, I have to figure this out. I have to know what to do. And, and it, then it creates stress, and then it creates this dependence on yourself to do it. Where spiritual-mindedness recognizes it and says, yeah, I've got these issues. God, what are we going to do about this? You first go to spirit. You first consult God, right? What a novel concept. You first acknowledge God, then he'll lead your paths. Do you do that? 
I mean, first thing in the morning, when you wake up, do you acknowledge God and acknowledge the truth that His Spirit is with you and in you and will lead you and guide you into all truth? That's what His promise is. His Spirit is with you to lead you and guide you into all truth. He already knows. He already knows what you need. He already knows what the best situation is, the best decision is. So it's just about following Him. So let me go just kind of review a little bit. And we won't put these passages up. You can look them back up later or go back and listen to our podcast. But we're talking about the blood. And in Revelation 12, we're given the promise that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. You have some things you need to overcome? One person over here does. You guys are good. I'm going to talk to these people over here. Y'all have some things you need to overcome? All right. <laughs> well, you do it by the blood. What does that mean by the blood? What, what are you talking about? Oh, I know. I, I've got to plead the blood. I've got to apply the blood. I've got to whatever we do, you know, all those things. And, and again, if you use that terminology when you pray, it's okay, but just make sure you know what you're talking about. Make sure you know what that actually means. And what that means is the blood of Jesus that has been shed for you is the remission of your sin. It leaves you clean and holy and perfect before the Father, and it gives you a new life. See, in Leviticus 17, 11, again, review that we've been talking about, the reason for the blood is because the life is in the blood. So what we're really talking about when we talk about the blood is life. We talk about a life exchange. That's what atonement is. Jesus' blood, Jesus' life was given so we could have his life, right? That's what you're after. So when you're applying the blood or pleading the blood or overcoming by the blood, it's not just this, this subjective idea that his blood is somewhere out there in heaven on that altar or maybe he's given me his blood or something like that. I don't know that I really fully understand it. Change it a little bit because the life is in the blood. So the blood being the agent by which you overcome is really his life. Does that make sense? You have his life in you. He who has the son has the life. And this word life is the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E. And it means the quality of life possessed by the one who gives the life or the quality of life that this person has or the kind of life, that the substance, the the makeup of that person's life. And we have the life of God because you are a tree planted in him. And just like any tree, it draws nutrients and resources from what it's planted in. Now, see, we overcome by the blood of the lamb spiritually, but by the word of our testimony is the period on the end of that sentence, the word of our testimony is the physical victory, right? So we know that spiritually by the blood of the lamb we overcome. Death is not for us. It says we won't taste death. We just pass through. Praise God. So spiritually, we have overcome already. We have been delivered from the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, right now, say, I'm in the kingdom. kingdom. Now. Now. Because he's already translated you into that kingdom. 
The kingdom is not just some far-off distant place that you've got to figure out how to be spiritual enough to get into or spiritual enough to get God to come out of and come here and touch your life. You're in the kingdom. It's in you. It's a dimension of, of resource. It's a dimension of spirit that, that you're in. And I do like this. I don't know why this makes sense to me somehow. Does this make sense to you? Like it's a dimension, right? You have three dimensions. You can go forward and backward. That's one. You can go left and right. That's another. You can go up and down. That's three dimensions. And you can move around in those three dimensions. And they're all around you. And time factors into that somehow. And so time is part of this three-dimensional experience that we have. So is the kingdom if you have been made righteous. It's, it's a dimension that is around you and in you that you participate in by faith. Faith is simply trusting God. Faith is not something that you do to get God to move. Faith is not a commodity that you gain to get better at being spiritual. Faith is this. Yes, you died on that cross for me. Yes, by your stripes, I am healed. Yes, by your righteousness, I live. Yes, by your blood, I'm made holy. That's faith. Acknowledging what he's done, not what you try to get to happen in your life. Bless God, I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm healed in Jesus' name. That's not really faith. That might be faith if in your heart you're acknowledging him. You're acknowledging Jesus as the source of that healing, but just sitting there confessing that stuff, you might actually be doing damage to your heart. You might be telling yourself over and over and over, I'm healed in Jesus' name. No, I'm not. I'm healed in Jesus' name. No, I'm not. I'm healed in Jesus' name. No, I'm not. Because <laughs> of what's going on. It's the mindsets that you carry as a result of all that. So I have a question for you when it comes to the matters of faith. Are you a scientist? Or are you a believer? That's the question that you're going to hear for the rest of the week or maybe for the rest of your life. When I'm dealing with this issue, and I'll explain that, right? I, I, I'm going to get you there. Am I a scientist or am I a believer? Let's go to Romans 8. Pull up Romans 8 back there if you would. You can put it up in the NIV. Flip over there with me. Romans 8, chapter 1. I'm going to read several passages if you're not familiar with Romans 8, it's probably, I think it was uh, C.S. Lewis that said that uh, Romans is the crown of the gospel and Romans 8 is the jewel in the crown of the word of God. I mean, Romans 8 is just, there's so much in there. I quote it all the time. I mean, it's, it's like I, John 17, where Jesus is praying that we would be one with him as as he's one with the Father and us be one together and we love the world together and that's how we actually win people to Jesus is our love for each other. That one and this one are incredible. Are you there? Romans 8.1. Are you a scientist or are you a believer? So therefore, let's go to NIV if you would, please, sir. See how this says uh, for... Um, Oh, yeah, that is it. All right. Reverse. All right. Verse 1, Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's it. Your King James Bible says, for those who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. But that's actually transposed from, like, I think, verse 4 and put back up there. That's not in most of the original texts. This is a single statement. There is therefore now no condemnation who are in Christ Jesus, period, amen. Is that good news for you? 
Now, I'll, I'll explain why it's important to know that because we think walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit is something that you do by your works and your efforts. It's like when you sin, I'm in the flesh, and when I'm doing really good things, I'm in the spirit. No. Uh, we'll cl he clarifies that. So verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. All right, so right here, you establish, I'm free from the law of sin and death. In other words, I'm free from the law of having to be righteous of my own efforts. I'm free from having to live up to a standard to be acceptable by God. That if I don't live up to it, it produces death within me. Right? You're, because Jesus fulfilled the law to give you the righteousness. And let's keep going. It can't even make you righteous anyway. So for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. The, the, to me, when I see passages like this, when I see when it talks about Jesus being an offering for us, see, Jesus is not a standard that you live up to. Jesus is an offering for you. Do you, do you see the difference? Because in a lot of Christianity, we're taught that Jesus is the example, and you've got to be holy and live up to that standard. But when you understand him as an offering, that is your holiness. Praise God. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. That means you can't be condemned for your sin. He was already condemned for you. Does that mean that you can run out and keep sinning? Does that make sin okay? Does that make sin any less dangerous? Okay, thank you. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So this is where we're going. Are we living and thinking according to the flesh or according to the Spirit? Remember, we're talking about overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. See, the word of your testimony has to come from ideas and passages and truths like this that you testify about the blood of the Lamb to yourself, to your own heart, so that you're actually experiencing life and peace that comes through spiritual mindedness. Now, I know I'm saying a lot, but we'll, we'll keep going and wrap it up here. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. And see, we, we continue to make this about behavior, right? Because we're externalists rather than internalists, realizing that God lives in us and we live from our beliefs outward, not our actions defining us. So what this is talking about is what's going on in your mind? What's going on in your heart? Do you desire the things that God desires for you or you desire the things of the world? Not even necessarily talking about sin, but what drives your passion? What drives your fuel for life? The things of the world or the things of God? So, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Hang on right there just for one second. This is... This is what we're, where we're going today all wraps around this idea right here. When your mind is governed by the flesh, not just, the, see, yes, this is flesh, 
But part of the definition of the word flesh, when you look it up in the Greek and it's applied to these areas, you know, we're doing this class, How to Study the Bible, right now. This week, we're coming up on uh, my, Sam's done a great job the last two weeks. This week, we're coming up on my sessions, and I'm going to show you how to use some original language study tools to go into passages like this, and where one word might have four definitions, in the exhaustive study tools, it shows you which specific passages, which aspects of those definitions refer to. Does that make sense to you? Because the flesh, in one sense, does mean skin. But in another sense, it means human nature. When it talks about stuff like this, it's talking about limited human nature, not your body. You see the difference? So when you think in in accordance with limited human nature or your best efforts, what does it produce? You know that. You already know that. So, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. See, we're talking about the mind. We're not talking about the body. Next verse. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. That doesn't mean it's shaking its fist. Actually, it says at enmity, which means enmity is more like oil and water. Right? They're not necessarily enemies, but you can't mix them. You try to mix oil and water, and they separate. So the flesh mind doesn't mix with the spiritual mind. Which one do you want? It does not submit to God's law. Now remember, you're already free from the law, right? We already established that up in the previous verse. So now that he jumps back down here, this doesn't put us... It's, it's amazing what we do. We go constantly in and out of the old and new, old and new, old and new, back and forth, back and forth, as if you're under the law sometimes and you're not under the law sometimes. Because of passages like this that look like it puts you back up under the law. But what you have to understand is you take all of what has happened to you in this new creation and realize where is the law now? It's written in your heart and it's written in your mind. See, God gave you a new spirit, his spirit. He gave you a new heart. And on that heart are written his laws. His laws are not the things that you have to do to be righteous. His laws are the best way to live in this situation. Does that make sense? It's like, it's his, it's his logic. Don't be killing each other. Don't be stealing from each other. It's not a good idea. You know, those aren't things you do to be righteous. It's just the best way to live. So his law, that, which leads you to life and success, not as a reward, but just because you steward your life in agreement with what he thinks is best. That's what we're talking about. When you're in agreement with God which is interesting because he's about to talk about whether or not you can please God. That's, what he, that's the definition of pleasing God is are you in agreement with him or not? Not did you perform well enough to make him happy, but are you in agreement with him? So <clears throat> it does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm, or it's interesting NIV uses this realm thing, but it's not in some of the others. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And again, if you look up the definition, it's be in agreement with, verse 9. You, however, say me, me. however. Okay, you're awake. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. Get, and I really hope you get this. This is a big deal because we have been taught 
that you're in the flesh when you're doing wrong and you're in the spirit when you're doing right. But this is the definition of really what determines whether you're in the spirit or not. You, however, are not in the flesh but are in the spirit. Why? If the spirit of God lives in you. You ever seen that old movie and they take peyote, they eat the cactus, and the guy's running through. He's like, we, you know we's in the spirit world. <laughs> like like you got to get out of your mind and be in some weird place to be in the spirit world, you know. It's like i got to be charismatic somehow. How do we do that spirit world stuff? I don't know how to do it, so I just forget about it. No, you're in the spirit if the spirit of God is in you. See, it's because we've mysticized what being in the spirit means. I think what being in the Spirit means is that you're just under the influence of God. You're in His life. In fact, I think if you could take Spirit, if you could take God's Spirit and put it under a microscope, it would be life. Like, it's what life is. And you're in that if His Spirit is in you. Now, you can live according to that life based on what's going on in your mind. What's going on in your mind? Again, I mean, are you a scientist or are you a believer? I'm not knocking science. I love science. But when it comes to matters of faith, where are we going to go to draw our conclusions? So, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Oh, really? Because I thought everybody was saved when he rose from the dead. Anyway, I'm speaking to those people online that are arguing that stuff. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And that's, that's as far as we're going. So why am I asking you about this science thing, right? The scientific method. Are you guys familiar with what that is? Scientific method is this. Ask a question. Do background research, construct a hypothesis, test your hypothesis by doing an experiment, analyze your data and draw a conclusion, then communicate your results. That's the, that's the scientific method. When it comes to what God has promised you, are you engaging in the scientific method or are you engaging in belief? You might engage in the scientific, I know because I know what you, you, but I do the scientific method spiritually. Okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about that for a minute. If you do the scientific method spiritually, where are you gathering your evidence? Because that's part of the process. Step two is where are you getting your, you're doing your background research. Your step three is you're constructing your hypothesis based on the data that you have gathered. Where are you getting your data? And hypothesis means coming to a conclusion based on the limited evidence that you can gather. That's what a hypothesis is. Where are you getting your evidence? This is why I'm asking you this. Are you a scientist or are you a believer? When you go through that, when you say, God, you promised that you would meet my needs according to your riches and glory. God, you promised, you said that you know what I need before I ever even ask. You desire to give me exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. You promised that all of my needs would be met. You promised you would never leave me, you would never forsake me. You promised that you would not take your peace away from me. When you are having trouble experiencing those realities, 
where are you going to gather your evidence to base your belief? This is what we do. We look at our circumstances. I need some evidence, God. I'm not sure that I'm experiencing that. I think it's because I sinned yesterday. Or I think it's because maybe I'm not ready and you're withholding that particular promise for me right now. Or maybe I need to learn some more holiness so you're going to let sickness reign in my body a little bit longer so I'll learn how to be humble enough to suffer enough in the flesh to earn a healing. I'm kind of making that an extreme thing, but that's what people do in their minds sometimes. Where, where are you looking to gather your data and your evidence? I mean, I'm trying to be cute a little bit, but I want to, get, I want to show you, I want to expose to you what you really do in your mind. When it comes to the promises of God, we all do it. We look to the physical world and we start gathering data to develop a conclusion, and it's based on circumstance. It's based on the physical world. It's based on lack if you come to a conclusion about the Word of God that is based on something physical, I mean, circumstances are like the least effective way to determine the will of God. But man, we plug ourselves into the carnal scientific method. It's like, okay, God, I need an answer, and I'm going to sit right here. And if you cause that cloud to move to that way, then that's a yes. Oh, wait, it's going the wrong way. Wait, I need something else. Let me see. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Okay, speak to me, Lord. Well, I, don't, I don't like that either. I mean, pick a promise and stand on it. Or, let me think here. Did God really say... that promise was for me. That's where we go. When you run through that scientific method based on your lack and your physical conditions and your circumstances, you end up at the question, I wonder if God still means that. And where'd that question come from? <coughs> the enemy, all the way back in the garden. Can I say something that might really freak you out. <clears throat> you got to give me some leeway here for a minute because this is it's an interesting concept and it scares the living daylights out of some people. But it'll set you free from the fear of the enemy if you really understand what I'm saying. Not that I've got it all figured out. I mean, I have been possessed. So I got a little bit of experience, but I don't have it all figured out, just so you know that. So this is my idea, right? I'm making this up. I'm not getting this out of Scripture per se. You all okay with that? I think everybody on the planet nearly every day is influenced by, dem by demons. I agree. Does that mean you're possessed? No. Does that mean you're evil? No. Does that mean the enemy is stronger than God? No. What that means is at some point during your day, you are going to be in the state of mind where you are willing to believe a lie about God. Those are doctrines of demons. Whether or not you actually have an entity in your life causing havoc, but the idea is there. Now, don't run out and think you've got to go get deliverance now. You might need deliverance, but truth is, it's not that the, the, the devil is so 
defeated and has such limited power, it's only based on your ability to believe a lie. But we do it to ourselves. We look at life and we're like, this is really hard. I don't understand this. This is difficult. Let me look at this word. Let me try to understand God based on what's happening in my life. Let me draw a conclusion. I'm going to come to this conclusion, and this means this. And you know what? I see this, God. You know what, God? I I don't trust you anymore. I watched this thing during the week. I, I, I listened to arguments against God because it just makes me answer questions. I, I just like to, the challenge, you know. I like to dig in the Word. I'll argue with them. I'm like watching YouTube and these things. I'm like, but this, but this you know. Like there's these guys, these new atheists uh, like Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins really isn't that great of a debater, but there's a guy, Christopher Hitchens. You can't help but like the guy. He's just such a likable guy, but he's, he is so wrong. So I'll sit there and I'll watch these things just, just so, that, so that I know how to have these kinds of conversations. I forgot what I was going to say. What was I going to say? I was watching one this week. Oh, it was, I was watching one this week, and it was, it was a group of 50 physicists asked, what do you think about God? And their answers were very interesting. Not one of them believed in God, and they were given their reasons why they didn't believe in God. Now, I'm going to show you the reverse of what we do. Are y'all, are y'all with me so far? Yeah. All right, so what we do is we as believers engage in carnal scientific methods to try to come to spiritual conclusions. Stop it. <laughs> it was interesting that what these guys do is they say, I think we should only have rational belief. I think we should only have a materialistic view of the world. Not that they all want more money, but we can only, only what exists is material. Only what we can see and observe is what actually is here. The, mind, the consciousness is a result of the brain, and the brain is a result of evolution, and blah, 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 blah. You know, they just go on. <laughs> but it's interesting. They'll say, well, what do you think about God? And, and, and so some of them will give a true-to-science answer, but most of them would do this. They would say, well, you know, when I was 11 or 12 or 13, you know, I had, I started, I was in church and I would read these and I would hear these stories and I didn't like the answers that the church were giving me. So I decided that I didn't want to have faith anymore. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you were supposed to be a rational person. You're basing your belief on whether or not there's a God on your 11 year old church experience. Think about it. It's an emotional answer because they'll say, well, you know, how could a benevolent God, and I watched this guy Tyson DeGreer. These guys are all smart, smarter than me. And he's, he's given all these scientific things, and it's kind of blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, he comes alive because he's like, most of the universe is toxic. Most of the universe that as soon as it's exposed to life would kill it. You're telling me that a benevolent, loving God would create a universe that would instantly kill life and only make one small, little, tiny, little place. I mean, it's like the argument, to me, just reinforces the love that God has for us. But his argument against the existence of God is the condition of the universe 100 million light years away from here. Do you see what I'm saying? It's irrational. But we do the reverse, right? So we're supposed to be believers, but we look to the world for logical processes to whether or not we're going to believe. Are you a scientist or are you a believer when it comes to the promises of God? 
<clears throat> because we all know it. Faith is the substance, the essence of things hoped for, the of things not seen. You're looking for evidence. You can either go through the scientific method and come to the conclusion that your lack has something to do with the character of God, or you can go to faith. And don't let those questions that come in and fight and don't mix, right? you got to realize your mind will not mix when you're carnally thinking, when you're trying to understand God in light of your circumstance and it's adverse to what his word says, it's not going to mix. It's like trying to put oil and water together. Logically, it makes sense to think the way that you're thinking in that moment. But it does not mix with God. It is at enmity with God. It makes absolutely no sense logically to say, I am going to give away a specific portion of my income on a regular basis, and that is going to be, have an impact on my heart to put me in a position to receive more than I ever even gave away. It makes no sense to lay hands on someone and physically speak words over that person and believe that they can be healed, and a tumor disappears. There's no medicine. All of these things that we're trying to experience that are promises from God, we disqualify ourselves because we're trying to look into this world to gather the evidence of why it's here and why it's not here. That thinking produces death. You know, spiritual thinking, being spiritually minded, if life is spirit and spirit is life, it's just life-minded. It's God-minded. Yeah, there is incredible injustice in this world. Yes, things have happened to me. I have just gone through a horrific loss. I have just experienced a, a, a betrayal. You know, we're talking predominantly about you in your heart, in your mind, in your life. That's the only thing that you have domain over. Then you walk in love toward others. We're not, because I know I hear the questions. It's like, well, but I tried to believe, but my marriage failed. Well, I tried to believe, but this person is gone now. That's their business between them and God. We're talking about you. Where are you gathering your evidence is the issue. Where, what set of data are you using to develop your hypothesis? Spiritual things or physical things? The physical things usually are the lack, the circumstance of sickness, the difficulty. The spiritual data, even plugged into a scientific thinking, would be I yielded to the Spirit of God and I no longer talk that way anymore. I yielded to the Spirit of God. I worshiped and let my, my, let my heart become whole now look at this relationship that I'm able to walk in now because of what... You see the difference? Yeah. Where are you gathering your data? Where are you gathering your evidence? Okay. And that's what we need to do. Go to the promises of God. Go to, go to your own life. You look back into your own life. That's why testimonies are important because we can stand up and testify of what God did in our lives and we can look at that person and say, he did it for me, he, can, he did it for them, he can do it for me. But the death side of that kind of logic, don't, do, don't use that. If it contradicts the promise of God, you're using the wrong set of data. And so that's where grace comes in. And that's where being spiritual-minded, tending toward life comes in. The more life-minded we are, the more we're going to experience the life and peace. It's that, it's that result of, I know what you're saying. How can I 
take something I don't see to consistently apply it and experience something in this world. That's where faith comes in. That's where grace comes in. That's where yielding to the influence of his power in you comes in. That's what we're not adept at. We're very good at looking at this world and saying, I don't have that. God's supposed to give it to me. He hasn't given it to me. I don't trust God. We're really good at that part. But the part that we're not so good at is God promised me that. It's spiritual. I access grace by faith. I'm going to stand and trust God until I see the manifestation. And you don't let doubt enter into the equation. You don't let fear enter into the equation because doubt and fear begin to contradict and constrict the power that can walk you through the process until the manifestation. So where are you getting your data? Are you going to the Word of God? Are you looking at His promises? Are you saying God is trustworthy? God is faithful. I'm going to open my heart to Him. I don't understand how it's going to happen. I don't know how to get this to work. I don't know that this can manage. I'm not... I've never seen this happen in my life before, but I'm willing to believe because God said it. I'm going to look to him and I'm going to stay faithful. It's having a spiritual worldview of starting first with acknowledging God and then going from there rather than starting looking at the carnal and then trying to figure out how to get God into it. That's why I started with this idea that you have been delivered from the power of darkness. You are in the kingdom. You are in the spirit and the spirit is in you. You're not trying to get the connection. You're just remaining faithful to let God manifest in your life and not constrict it by doubt, not limit it by worry. That's that's our job as believers is to believe. And believe just means, yes, I give you credit, God, for who you say you are. I think to be true your promises. That's what faith is. So when you're living your life, this is, this is the practical aspect of it. When you wake up in the morning and you start going into these situations that you've got to face, are you looking at it carnally or are you looking at it spiritually? Are you acknowledging God or are you fearful? Are you questioning whether or not God's going to be in that situation with you? Are you inviting him to breathe and speak through you in that moment? Are you... I mean, here's a very simple, basic one. And this might mean you got to read your Bible, but do you know what the Word of God says about your situation? Do you know what the promises are for what you are seeking to see change in your life? That's where you go for your evidence. Then you yield to His Spirit and let Him empower you, and it will be built into your life. To be spiritually minded doesn't say it gets you in a place where you can be really spiritual enough and then you'll have life and peace. It doesn't say to be spiritually minded makes you then know what to do and then you'll have life and peace. No, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You're in the spirit. It's in you. You think in agreement with it, it will produce life and peace in your life, regardless of the circumstance. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your spirit. We thank you that you are faithful, that your word is true. God, we want to think spiritually. We don't want to think carnally. We don't want to be limited to flesh. We want to be unlimited by the indwelling of your spirit, that all things are possible as we believe. 
We trust you, Lord. We trust that you have good plans for us. We want to see those good plans established in our life because it will bring you glory. God, and we commit to walk in love. Just just take a moment in this moment. Yield your heart to him. Open your mind to him, which really just means acknowledge him. Just be willing to let him influence you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you shed your blood for me, exchanged life with me, and now I am hidden with you in God. And God is now the source of life for me. Teach me by your spirit how to draw on that life so that I experience your promises and participate in your divine nature. Amen.